Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 15 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411 Mania site. Please subscribe and share the show around on social media as we would greatly appreciate it. On today's show, I'm joined with my good friend, Jeremy Lambert. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Long weekend, but I'm excited to be here. I feel like I say that every time. Long weekend. It was a long weekend, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it had a had a lot of wrestling. We had a, We're going to cover today the NWA Crockett Cup 2019 event, as well as the Impact Rebellion pay-per-view. Pair of good shows, I thought. Uh, a lot of different things going on, and uh, yeah, it'll. Uh, it, it was. I think it was a good weekend overall for the wrestling. I, I had a good time. Uh, I kind of hated that I had to miss the Crockett Cup live, but um, I enjoyed watching it. So uh, that's good, I think. And uh, you were there live, were you? Right. Yes. Uh, maybe that's why the weekend felt long. I was. It's about a two, two and a half hour drive from my place to where the Crockett Cup was being held. So, and I went to the the VIP event, which started at 11. So I was up early on Saturday, and that's usually a good sleep-in day for me. I was up early, drove to that, went to the whole VIP thing, sat at a pizza place for... Because the thing was supposed to last until 4, and then the show started um, at 7, and the thing lasted until like 2.30. So uh, I left there and went to this pizza place and sat there for four hours. And they did not have very comfortable chairs at this pizza place. Uh, and then I went to the Crockett Cup, Cup show, which was a good show. And got home at about 1 o'clock or so. So uh, Saturday was just a long day for me. But it was a fun day. I can't complain. The The show was great. The The VIP event was was really great. The pizza place actually had good food, so it was a, it was a fun day, even though it was a little bit longer than my usual Saturdays where I just sleep all day. Well, that is good. Yeah, I um, I had a pretty productive week last week. I got a uh, had the latest fitting with the leg, and I should hopefully hear this week about going in and um, having the official fitting at the um at the place where they make it, and then start learning to walk on it. And if they have to make any adjustments there, they will. And uh, I find that I'm getting the fully computerized knee, which uh, they were afraid the insurance company might not um, okay, but they did. So I am very happy about that. And then I also defeated the insurance company because my wife is very smart. And when I had uh, the toe amputated and stuff, she had read into the insurance stuff. And I should have gotten some money for it, but we didn't have the one disability package. So she signed up for it. And when I got home, we started the process to get a a pretty sizable amount of money. And uh, they did the insurance company thing where they turn you down the first time and said there wasn't enough paperwork. And they greatly underestimated Christie's tenacity and ability to collect paperwork (laughs) because we collected and scanned and sent in uh, all the stuff from the hospital and rehab center, which was approximately 900 pages of paperwork. Jeez. I mean, it was like every vital sign, every everything they did. And uh, she sent it in and called two days later to double check. And the guy was like, uh, yeah, yeah, um, you're good now. We're cutting the check and mailing it out. 
<laughs> and uh, somebody on Twitter joked, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this dude looked into like the first hundred or so pages and was just like, "Fuck it, we're cutting a check. I'm done." <laughs> that that would imagine how I would uh, think it would go as well. It's just you know, you see 900 pages of stuff. Once you get past the first few, it's like, all right, I'm gonna assume everything is good here. So they they are on top of things. Let's give them their money. Well, yeah, I'm glad sure. I'm glad things worked out in that way for you. And yeah, I missed you at the Crockett Cup on Saturday because I know if you had the leg or if you were healthy, that we would have been a uh, double teaming that thing together and having a, a good old time like we did at uh, NXT a few years ago. Yeah, we also did the uh, the Bellator show years ago. Bellator show as well. That was on Valentine's Day. I remember. Yes. It's weird. It's it, the Bohanglays Arena. Yes, that's right. Had to get Bohanglays at the Bohanglays Arena. This is at the uh, same arena that the NXT show was held at, so I was at least familiar with the arena. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Carabas Arena. ROH does uh, shows and TV tapings there occasionally too. It's it's that's a nice building. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good like mid-sized building, and it it has a nice layout. All the seats are good for the most part. So you can uh, see yeah. like there's not really a bad seat in that place. Like I sat right near where the entrance was, and I mean you can see everything no matter where you're sitting there. So it's a it's a nice a small little intimate building that I I don't know how the show came off on television because um, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You'll have your production notes. Um, but in the building, it came off really well. The setup was was really cool with the double banners and the uh, tournament screen and the uh, table with the Crockett Cup and the tag team titles on it. And so, like, that whole setup was cool. The The entrance uh, way was nice. And, it, like, the ring looked really good. Everything seemed like it was mic'd pretty well. So, and I don't know how it came off on television, but in the building, like, the setup was, was really nice and really well done. Yeah, and we will start talking about the Crockett Cup now. Um, the NWA ran their latest big show is the return of the Crockett Cup in the Carolinas outside of Charlotte. And um, production-wise, it was really cool because the way they staged it, the hard camera was pointed at the entrance, at, or like the, the center part, the entrance was off to the side. So for like 90% of the show, you had the Crockett Cup and the tag titles in the background which looked really cool. And then they had the old school ring apron, the blue ring apron and the block lettering. ROH used an older school logo. And then uh, like the graphics were all old school. So it really felt like you were watching basically like a Charlotte Coliseum show from 1986. And I love that. Cause like, if you're going to bring back the Crockett cup and you're going to go for that old school vibe and you're going to bring legends back and do all that stuff. I think that's exactly what you should have done. So I thought it came off really good on TV. It looked really nice. I thought production overall was good. Uh, commentary was excellent um, on the whole show. So I was uh, I was really excited. Uh, had a really good time with that. And the action started off the evening, which was the uh, the wild card tag team battle royal to uh, give us our final team in the Crockett Cup. It was a bunch of geeks for the most part. It was uh, the dogs from ROH, the boys from ROH, the Dawson brothers, which are local, Josephus and Jay Bradley, uh, Royce Isaacs and uh, Thomas Latimer, which is the former Bram, 
And um, that got a lot of shit online because for the most part, most people think Graham's a piece of shit domestic abuser. And uh, yeah, so then uh, the reaction to that was uh, something to track all night long, especially because we had to watch four Bram matches. In the year of our Lord 2019. So no one knew that this was Bram. <laughs> Uh, at least the people around me, it's, you know, we saw this guy, no one knew who either of these guys were. Everyone was, was pulling for the boys and the Dawson brothers got a nice little reaction as well. It's these guys got in the ring like five minutes before seven. And so they just stood around for five minutes and everyone was just like, why aren't you guys hitting each other now? Uh, and they did, I guess, you know, just as a joke thing, like obviously the bell has to ring, guys. It's not Suzuki Goon out here. They're just jumping people before the <laughs> bell. Um, so, yeah, the Battle Royal was what it was. It was every Battle Royal ever. Uh, the boys were over. And again, the Dawson brothers got a nice little reaction. The Royce Isaacs and Thomas Lattimore, no one knew who the fuck these guys were. No one knew that it was Bram. So, if their goal was to you know, use Bram without it being Bram, the domestic abuser. They, at least to the live crowd, accomplished that, but they also just made it to where no one cared about these guys because we didn't know who they were. Yeah, and um, like I said, it was every battle royal ever. It wasn't bad. It was okay. It lasted just under seven minutes, and uh, Royce Isaacs and uh, Bram won and moved on to the tournament. So that was fine. Uh, then, like, the first, like, real match of the night here, we got Flip Gordon and Bandito versus Graramaya Jr. and Stuka Jr. And I thought this was a very good, fun little uh, Lucha-style sprint. Everybody working hard. Uh, sounded like the crowd was really into it with uh, Flip and Bandito winning to move on. Again, thought it was very good. Won about 12 and a half minutes. Your live thoughts. Real quickly, going back to the Battle Royal, Rhett Titus got eliminated first, and he's walking to the back. And again, I'm right by the by the entranceway, and some kid throws a streamer at him, and Rhett Titus picks it up. It doesn't unravel, so he picks it up, and he throws it back, and I end up catching it and handing it back to the kid, and I don't think the kid threw the streamer again. So he learned his lesson that if he's going to throw this streamer and guys are going to throw it back, he's just not going to throw a streamer at all. I felt bad for the kid, honestly. Um Flip Gordon, Bandito, Guerrero, Maya, and Stuka. Crowd loved this match. I really enjoyed this match. Uh, Flip and Bandito were were over big. Um, I, I talked to Flip earlier in the day, and there's a name drop. And, you know, this was the arena where he hurt his knee at the ROH TV taping. So he didn't say, like, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to go out there and get that first spot out of the way, see how my knee holds up and everything. Uh, but I could kind of tell it was just like, let me exercise a, a demon right now. Um, and, you know, he, there was some rough spots in this match. I thought uh, there was one, it looked like they were going for a tilt a whirl backbreaker and, and flip. And um, I don't remember if it was Maya or Stuka. Uh, they kind of got hung up and then they did the spot over again. Uh, there was a there was another spot where they had a little bit of trouble just making sure everyone was secure. I I 
didn't say I wouldn't say like these were complete botches. They they saved it every single time, which is a credit to all four of these guys as as professionals. Um, but overall, like it was a really fantastic match. Just a lot of a lot of good spots, a lot of good action, and and Flip Gordon and Bandito picked up the win, which the crowd liked. Yeah, and I thought it came off uh, really good on uh, on TV. So uh, again, a successful match for sure. And I think it was the exact match that uh, everybody was kind of hoping for from these guys. One of the better matches on the show. Uh, we moved on to our second first round match, which was the War Kings facing off with Royce Isaacs and Bram. Uh, this lasted about eight minutes. Uh, it was. A theme for Isaacs and Bram, it was okay. Wasn't a lot of heat to it. Uh, not a lot of energy to it. And uh, Royce, Isaacs, and Bram defeated the War Kings with a cradle and grabbing the tights on Crimson. You know, no one cared about this match. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about, you know, we thought that Jack Stane and Crimson might end up winning this whole thing because they're under NWA contract or, you know, they're NWA guys, I guess. I don't know what the contract situation is, but they're NWA guys. So to see them lose kind of added more unpredictability to the tournament, which was which was nice. But no, like, again, no one knew who Isaacs and, and Lattimore were and. No one really cared about Jack Stane and Crimson, so the, this match was what it was. It, it it was probably even too long, like eight minutes for these guys just felt a little bit too long. Yeah, I was uh, kind of surprised Crimson and Dane lost here, but uh, like you said, it added a little unpredictability, and that's not a bad thing um, because, I mean, I mean, I didn't want them to win, but it just felt like that's how they were going to go. But again, as we talked about in the preview, there was a lot of unpredictability and a lot of um, a lot of guesswork because you didn't know how they were going to book this, and um, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that because we're we're still learning about the NWA. We're still learning what it's going to be and all that, and so we'll you know let it figure itself out. And so we moved right along. Jim Cornette, who was on commentary, hit the ring, and he announced the Rock and Roll Express put them over, but noted that the Crockett Cup was the one thing that avoided them in their NWA careers. The Briscoes arrived and basically threatened to beat the old men's asses, tried to let them forfeit, and that did not work. And then the, the Rocket Rolls attacked, and as we talked about in the preview, this was a good match. The Rocket Roll Express played the hits. Ricky Morton played Ricky Morton, <laughs> which... Is this great? He, he 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 bled a little bit. You know, we got a double drop kick. We got a rocket launcher, and it lasted a little under seven minutes. But I thought it was a good match. I don't think you really could have hoped for a lot more. The Briscoes won in the end, and uh, yeah, it was for an old NWA fan like me. It was really cool. You know, one more time in the Carolinas to hear that crowd do the rock and roll chant for them trying to rally Ricky Morton with the flowing locks of his golden moulet and just, just good stuff, man. Ricky Morton can still go, honestly. I thought he looked great in this match. Gibson, a little less. Uh, I don't know how his dropkick came off on television, but I'm not sure he actually connected um, in real life. 
Uh, but Ricky Morton can can still go. That guy can still move. Can you know he's he's sixty one or however old he is. But overall, like he he can he can still go out there and deliver a, a good performance. I mean, the man bled. Like the the man decided to bleed, and God bless him for it. Crowd, yeah. they they loved the Rock and Roll Express. Obviously, once the Briscoes came out, it became more of a, a split thing because. You know, we like our backwoods guys from uh, the, the the Briscoes. So it became a little bit more split, but they turned back around on the Rock and Roll Express. I Real quickly on Jim Cornette's promo, this was so good for a number of reasons. Um, first, the, the whole, you know, you guys haven't won the Crockett Cup. You know, this is the one thing that has eluded you. And I thought that gave, like, an impression of, like, oh man, they're building up this underdog story here. They've never done this. What a cap this would be at 60 years old for both these guys to go out there and win this Crockett Cup. So I thought it planted a little seed of, hey, maybe these guys can do it. I like that. And two, I don't know if this came off on television, but when the Briscoes came out and threatened Jim Cornette, and he ran away. He legitimately ran the whole way. Like he ran out of the ring, ran around ringside. There's a whole staging area to the left of where I was sitting. He runs there, runs up the steps, and then back to the commentary table. So he did not, you know, he thought he was on television the whole time. He did not walk the area or anything. Or once he got off the screen, he he didn't, you know, coast from there. He ran the whole way back to the commentary booth. So live. I thought that came off really well. So I, I like the Jim Cornette, uh, the whole setup there. And then the match, again, Ricky Morton can still go. The Briscoes are professionals. They they let the Rock and Roll Express do Rock and Roll Express things. Briscoes winning, obviously, the right call. But there was that little seed that, hey, maybe the, the Rock and Roll Express can pull this off. But overall, just for what it was, the crowd really loved this. And the match, you know, it didn't overstay its welcome or anything. Just... A, strong segment from start to finish yeah and i think it's for the best because somebody was like well it only went like seven minutes and blah 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 and i'm like listen dude it's like the rock and roll express are 60 fucking years old let's let's take what we can get here with all due respect they had a really good seven minute match they played the hits the crowd seemed to love it i loved it it was good it's like seriously i mean how many times do we see old timers come back and shit. I mean, we talk about like the trip weight stuff all the time. It's like, you know, guys that don't know how to work at their age and the rock and rolls were enough of the rock and roll express. You know, the briscoes got good heat on them and it was good. I, I just don't think you can ask much more. from them. Are you done moving furniture? Hello. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I lost you there for a second. What was the That's last sorry. thing you said? No, I just said I don't think you can really ask much more for what we got, especially two guys that are 60 years old. They were over. They gave us enough of the Rock and Roll Express to be happy. It was fun. And like you said, they planted a little seed. There was a little bit of hope. The crowd was into it. I mean, it just it worked. Yeah. It, from start to finish, I thought the, I thought this whole segment was great. Exactly. So, I mean, 
again, for anybody that thought it should have been a lot longer, it's like I, you play to your strengths, you go with what works, and that's exactly what they did. So good stuff. We moved on to another first-round match, Villain Enterprises versus Kojima and Nagata from New Japan. And uh, we, again, we talked on the preview. The dads are still good enough to have a nice hard-hitting match. Uh, they actually paired really well with uh, PCO and Brody King. And I thought it was another good match. Went about 12 minutes. Again, good hard-hitting. The dads worked hard. And just it came off nice. And I, again, I think it was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, the the match was was good. Um, I'm for some reason I'm having a hard time recalling it, but overall, it was it was a fine match. The crowd really liked PCO. Um, they got into him a lot more later on, which we'll talk about because this wasn't like super crazy PCO that we ended up seeing later on. They they were respectful for Kojima and Nagata. I don't know how much the crowd knew about them, but it seemed like they, they knew enough to get into it. And another short match, which is what it needed to be. And like I, I would have preferred I, I guess you said this went about 12 minutes, so not like super short. Um but overall, overall, again, for some reason, I, I'm just having trouble recalling this match. But it, it was good. Crowd liked it. Dylan Enterprises won. Yeah, and again, it, kind of a, a statement for the most part of a lot of the stuff on the night um, that worked was it was exactly what it needed to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't don't get overcomplicated with things. So. Um, Medusa was brought out next and, uh, she had the NWA women's championship. Uh, she cut a really weird promo that didn't particularly come off very well. I thought, and, uh, announced our competitors. Uh, yeah. What was the reaction to that lot? Uh, the crowd wanted to like Medusa because I mean, it's Medusa and, like they they wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, but ugh, it it was very rough. And I think by the middle of it, people were just like, "Can we get on with this, please?" It was again. It started respectful, and it was like, "Oh, cool! You know, this is a cool moment. Medusa's here. She's gonna introduce the the match and everything." And then it just became, "You've said this stuff. What what are you actually doing? Can you please?" Can we please just get to the match? And I honestly, I don't, I don't, we'll talk about the match in a second, but I feel like this whole setup actually ended up hurting the match. Yeah, it, it, it felt like it took the crowd out of it. It wasn't like it was overly long, but she just kind of droned on about stuff and it felt like she lost her point, you know, lost the plot at one point and just like, and, uh, yeah, here's a, Here's Santana, Garrett, and Sienna. It's like Allison K, bitch. Come on now, you know. But uh, yeah. So, what did you think of the match? It wasn't good. Um, I again, I don't know how it came off on television live. You could tell they were working a, and I'm not saying you have to go out there and be New Japan style and just be completely stiff the shit out of each other. But they were they were working very soft, very light. Nothing was really looking like it was landing with any effect. The crowd did not care at all, except for this one guy in 
my section who just kept saying Santana, Santana. And I'm like, oh, my God, can this guy shut up? Uh, I He was just trying to entertain himself, I think. But, yeah, it, did, it didn't come off very good live, honestly. The just the, the work just didn't look all that believable. And, again, if it came off better on television, great. Kudos to the product production team but just being there watching in person it was it was just a it was just a very light match and th- again the crowd the crowd didn't seem to know or care about either either lady and the medusa promo kind of took them out of it from there so just and like how the cornet briscoe's rock and roll express was great start to finish like segment match ending all of it came off really well this was pretty much the exact opposite where Medusa promo match ending it all just came off very very flat and again for those of you that haven't attended wrestling live there is a really big difference especially the closer you sit to the action because you really notice when and like Jeremy said we're not talking about like working strong style but you you can tell when things with and things don't look like they're connecting and stuff like that and it just um it's very it's very obvious when it's not clicking well. I thought it was solid. Uh, like you said, it didn't feel like the crowd was into it at all. I didn't think it was bad, but um, I had higher hopes for it. Um, it was nine minutes. Allison K won the title, which I thought was a good call. But yeah, it was just, it, it came off as solid, but basically unspectacular to me. It felt longer than nine minutes, too. Nine minutes doesn't seem like a long time. This felt like it went about 15. And see, that's never good, too, when things feel like they last longer than they are. Yeah, it just... Again, I'm not trying to say everything needs to be strong style, everything needs to be laid in. But like you said, when you're there live, you get a different perspective on things. And when you see stuff that we know it's wrestling, we know not everything lands completely, you know, 100% on the body and everything. But when stuff is like, on some of that stuff, it wasn't even that close, honestly. And, you know, they still sell it and everything. But you can just tell when it's it's not being you know it's not connecting and so when you when you see stuff that isn't connecting and girls are or guys are acting like it's still you know landing hard and everything it's like that's what they're supposed to do that's professional wrestling but at the same time when you when you see it it's like eh, there's not that believability factor to this match and that's what that's what it came off with is live it's like i just didn't have that believability factor of this was a a good wrestling match. It just felt like these were these ladies were going out there, doing their spots, and it came off how it came off live. I can't I can't apologize for how I felt it. It came off. It just it didn't come off well. Yeah, and that's again that's the thing too. I uh, I think they did a good job shooting it because it wasn't like very noticeable. It just wasn't. It just wasn't good. It was fine. It existed. It was there. But uh, years ago, when Chrissy and I would do podcast stuff, I talked about um, we went to a TNA uh, UWF show that uh, co-promoted by Hermie Sadler in Keenansville, uh, by where we used to live in Warsaw. And we went to this show, and you know it had some TNA people on it, and then it had a lot of local indie guys. And uh, Scotty Too Hottie was on the show. And uh, we watched like 
the first like six matches or so before intermission. Scotty Too Hotty was on right before intermission. And he's doing the full Scotty Too Hotty act. He had his daughter with him and she got in the ring afterwards and danced with her dad. It was super cute. But we were sitting like front row. So, you know, you're right there by the ring and all evening, like Christy would lean over. She's like, wow. She's like, I never really noticed like how things don't look really good as opposed to TV until tonight. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's, you know, you're right here. I'm like, there's no covering up. There's no camera angles. And then Scotty too hotty comes up working this local dude and Scotty too hotty. And I like Scotty and I think he was a very good worker, but he looked like the greatest fucking worker on the planet. Everything he did was crisp and on point. He looked like he was destroying this dude with punches Probably wasn't even, like, grazing his cheek, but everything just looked so good, especially in comparison. And again, when you're there live, if you've never been to a wrestling show live, I, I mean, I urge you to go because, I mean, obviously wrestling is great. You have a lot of fun, but it's a completely different perspective. And like Jeremy said, you pick up things that are not evident on TV, and it makes it a very different experience. To where it's like the same thing is you hear people that go to a show live and they say it's like the greatest show they've ever went to. And then they come home and say, like, read my review. And I say, like, yeah, it was a fine show. It was a good show. And it's like a crime against humanity that I didn't love the show because they had this tremendous live experience. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to, like, make anybody feel bad. But it's just, again, it's totally different. I mean, it can either make it a great experience for you or it can take away from it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And uh, we move on. Caprice Coleman was uh, doing ringside interviews for a while tonight, and he was joined by the Midnight Express, Sweet Stan Lane, Beautiful Bobby, and Loverboy Dennis Congre. And uh, the coolest thing was, like, Caprice is a Carolina guy, so he's totally marking off for the Midnight Express. He's so happy to be talking to these guys. Bobby Lane talked about Bobby Eaton talked a little bit, Stan Lane talked, Dennis Condry talked about it, you know, he's beating his cancer. Really nice moment, just you know, bringing the Midnights out on the same show that the Rock and paying tribute to that, uh, to the NWA vibe and everything. And I thought that was a really nice segment. The Caprice Coleman one, which one was this? Was this the uh, because he had one where he kind of botched things up. I, I think it was before the Medusa promo that yeah, he, yeah, that that one which we we glossed over, which it, you know was just Caprice Coleman setting things up. But that one he didn't come off very well. Um, the other ones he was much better. Was this the Midnight Express one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Midnight Express one. He was crowd loved this. Um, crowd was into it. You know, the the Midnight Express were were at the the VIP event and then. We'll talk about Nikita and, and Magnum, but they were there as well. So people who attended that kind of knew that some of the stuff was was coming, but it was really cool to to see live for the um, larger crowd in the in the audience. Um, so yeah, I thought this came off really well and bringing back the the legends. It, it's a it's a nice homage to the past. And again, this whole thing was very much 
you know, it, it's 2019, but we're paying tribute to the 1980s, and and this was another another sign of that. So I yeah, I thought Caprice Coleman was was good here after a rough start, and then crowd really liked uh, Midnight Express and everything. Yeah. So the Crockett Cup continued with our first semifinal match. Royce Isaacs and Bram defeated, unfortunately, Flip Gordon and Bandito. Uh, this was the match where Flip, uh, quote unquote, injured and had to sell his knee, uh, which you you had to figure would play into it at some point. And um, again, Flip and Bandito tried really hard. It was okay. It went seven and a half minutes. And again, like I said, Isaacs and Bram, it was, you know, people even joked in my review because I used to call Bram two-star Bram and walk and brawl Bram. And that's pretty much what he did all night. Yeah, he did. This finish was very flat. Um, No one, I'm sure commentary brought it up. And so it it made it seem better with, with Flip's knee injury and everything. Most people live didn't. They didn't buy that Flip was injured, so I think that hurt things a little bit. But what really ended up hurting things was just it's it's fucking Bram and you know his partner who no one has heard of. So it was very flat. The finish was very flat. It was it was seemingly like out of nowhere. I think most people just expected Flip Gordon and Bandito to win because they figured why the why the hell are Isaacs and, and Lattimore going to win? But uh Flip and Bandito did their best for the first first part of this match. And then once they went into the I think Flip hit like a um um a flip senton or something and and that's when he injured his his knee it might have been a 450 um but whatever he did where he ended up selling his knee after that that that's when isaacs and Lattimore took over and then flip you know everyone just expected oh flips working a knee injury he's gonna get the hot tag the bandito is gonna run wild and that's gonna be that and then it just never came it's they worked over the knee they got the roll up with the tights again and and that was that so very very flat finish and the crowd was was not too happy with that yeah it was a uh, it was deflating i thought and uh yeah you are right it was on the 450 splash spot I just checked my recap, and he's the 450 on Isaacs and pulls up selling the previously injured knee. So, uh, yeah, and that's a, that's a shame, but um, I don't know. I guess I guess they're Billy's boys and whatever, you know, but uh, didn't come off well. Again, just deflating, and you, it, you could tell people in the building, like just watching on TV, they were like, oh, why are the fun guys losing? That's That's no good. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was again just very flat, very deflating. Crowd was just like, "What?" Again, we didn't know who these guys were. Like, we just there were two guys who were in the battle royal, and then now all of a sudden they're about to be in the finals, and they just beat. I mean, really, the most popular outside of the Briscoes, I think, Flip and Bendito were the most over tag team. In this Crockett Cup, I, I mean the Rock and Roll Express were there as well, but uh, so and then Flip and Mandito. But as far as just match quality as well, like these are the two guys who you know you're going to get a, a great match out of. And after their first match, people were into these guys even more. And it's just now we've got 
you know, Isaacs and Lattimore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we moved on to our second semifinal match. Villain Enterprise is defeating the Briscoes via disqualification, which came off really oddly. Uh, they they did the gimmick. They, they had a good match. And then all of a sudden, things kind of got out of hand. They got chairs at the end. And it looked like PCO and King used them first. Then the Briscoes hit them. And then, like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Then they're like, Villain Enterprise is one via DQ. I'm like, okay, sure. So good match, flat finish, and, uh, you know, protecting the Briscoes so they don't take another L right now. And But uh, Villain Enterprises moves on. And then post-match, the Briscoes beat the shit out of PCO. They pilmanized his arm with chairs. Mark hit a crazy, like, top rope kind of, like, senton deal onto the chairs and basically just tried to destroy PCO's arm. And they were then pissed off because the NWA did them dirty. The finish did not come off well at all. Again, like, after... After you have Flip and Bandito losing and that that whole ordeal and that really flat finish, like to come back with this finish, it was just back to back, not good finishes. That the you know the crowd just wasn't pleased with either of them. They did save things with the whole post match angle because you know crowd's gonna love chairs and stuff like that. So I give them credit there that they that they managed to save things in that aspect. This is where the crowd like really loved PCO. So in the section I was sitting, some people knew PCO and others like they just they didn't understand who he was. They didn't realize he was uh the John Pierre Lafitte from WWE, WWF in the in the 90s or part of the Quebecers or anything like that. They they were just like, who who is this guy? He's just kind of a a crazy guy. And then by the end of this match with the fuck this guy, he's complete lunatic, honestly, with his senton onto the the hardest part of the ring. Like you don't need to be doing that, but God bless him if he wants to keep doing it. Uh, that spot and then taking the the senton with the the chairs from the briscoes like that spot people are like man this guy is a fucking maniac and he's awesome so by the end of this match like the people around me who really did not know who pco was they legitimately never heard of this guy they were like this is now one guy even said like i gotta watch more of this guy's matches and stuff and so we were talking about like yeah he's on roh pretty much every week and um so i was just telling him about i like i didn't say hey do you remember the quebecers or anything like that like that's him i was just kind of telling him like this is where you can find out more about him so the crowd loved pco by the end of this the finish wasn't good the the match itself until the finish i thought was was fine you get why they did the finish. It's two ROH guys. They they've worked a lot of matches uh, in in recent months. Um, you know, Villain Enterprises beat them at the 17th anniversary show, and then I think they did a DQ like the week later, and then they wrestled again at Madison Square Garden. So you want to kind of protect both guys and that both teams in that aspect. So I understand the DQ finish. It just after. Yeah, after flipping Bandito with Boss and the way they lost, and then you come back with a DQ finish, it was just back-to-back finishes where ugh, crowd just wasn't into either of them. But 
credit to them, at least the post-match and the Briscoes promo turned things around and the crowd was was back up into things because, you know, that was a, that was a cool spot with the Briscoes and PCO. Yeah, so uh, Villain Enterprises moves on via the DQ to the finals. Next up was the NWA National Championship match. Champion Willie Mack defending against Cole Cabana. And we got a title change here, as uh, we talked about in the preview and both thought we might see. Uh, they had a good match, a little under 10 minutes. Um, I thought they worked really well together. Willie Mack did the fucking uh, Chris Hamrick spot where he misses the drop kick and flies through the middle of the ropes and splats on the fucking floor. Uh, <laughs> that was fantastic. But, uh, yeah, good match. I um, Cornette on commentary, uh, real quick to go back to the PCO thing. Um, he goes up for the senton, and Rick Abani's like, he tries this all the time. He's only hit it once. And then he flies and fucking misses. And Cornette just goes, Why? <laughs> <laughs> It was, just, it was hilarious. He was so good. But um, Cornette was really good on commentary here because what I liked is, you know, Ian Riccoboni was, like, putting over Cabana he's his broadcast partner and everything. And uh, Cornette was just like, listen, had my problems with Cole Cabana. He's like, I don't think he takes wrestling as seriously as he should sometimes. But when he does, he's a hell of a wrestler. He's lived in England. He's traveled the world. And he's a great representative for the NWA as a former champion. And I really like that, like, it wasn't like he tried to hide anything. It's like he got his real thought out there because he has had problems with Cole in the past. He's not his biggest fan. But there is a certain amount of respect there, which I thought came off well. But again, a good match. Cole Cabana is your new champion. And there are rumblings that uh, Willie Mack lost the title because he may become AEW exclusive in the U.S. Well, that would explain why Willie Mack was in a, I don't know if he was in a bad mood during the VIP session. He, you know, you see Willie Mack on television and you think that like, oh, like this guy is, you know, he's a, he's a fun loving guy and he's, he's having a good time and he's very personable and very charismatic he he was late to the VIP session earlier in the day and just was kind of sour for a lot of the day. And I mean, I, I give the guy, I appreciate that he gave me time to to talk to him. I'm just saying how he sort of came off to potentially other fans and stuff. Um, I'm sure he was fine during the meet and greets and whatnot, but he just seemed a little, little salty, a little angry throughout the day. Maybe he had Sasha Banks syndrome. I don't know. Uh, but he went out there, he worked hard. They had a, they had a really good match and Cabana winning. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't too surprising. The, the Superman pen. I don't know. It, doesn't come off as like people don't seem to think that this is a a spot that should end a match i guess because no one really seemed to know like when he when he hit it i mean he 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 won a new japan cup match with it and but when he hit it people were just like oh okay like no one really thought that was going to be the finish and then it was the finish and it didn't come off like flat like the last two matches it just came off more of unsuspecting like oh that's the finish all right cool but now we have to react 
not not that I I don't think it really took away from the reaction, but but maybe a little bit just because people just didn't think that was going to be the finish. Uh, the match was short, and it it even felt shorter than than nine minutes. Like I thought they were kind of just getting going, and then this is why again the the Superman finish it just came off like very very sudden. Uh, it just felt like they were just getting going, and then they went to the finish. Uh, but overall, overall a good match. And then Cabana, you know, we'll see what what he does with the title. He's a guy who's got a lot of ends with a lot of companies, so so that obviously helps with the NWA and getting them, you know, more exposure. Uh, I don't know what Willie Mac is going to be AEW exclusive. I've actually heard that he's set for big things in Impact. So. Uh, We'll see what happens with Louis Mack. Either way, it definitely seems like he wasn't in for the long haul anymore with the NWA, uh, whether he goes to AEW, whether he you know, gets a big push and impact or something like that. It, it just doesn't seem like he, he was going to be around you know, being able to defend the, the national title across different promotions and stuff for the NWA, which, hey, good on him. Like, the, this guy is is very good. He's good in the ring. He can go in the ring. Uh, a very charismatic guy on the microphone and with his personality. So he he truthfully deserves, whether he, he gets a bigger push and impact, whether he goes to AEW, like, he deserves a bigger spotlight. I thought Lucha Underground was really good for him. And then, you know, Lucha Underground's a dead. But he, he deserves a bigger spotlight. And, you know, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. There's a lot of a lot of speculation out there right now on his future. And uh, as you said, I, I think he uh, he's deserving of a good spot wherever he decides to stay or go to. I like Willie Mack a lot. Yeah, he was really good in Lucha Underground, which, uh, like you said, is pretty much unfortunately looking like it's dead. And uh, there you go. So post-match, they set up Cabana's first challenger is – James Storm, remember that guy, uh, came out and kind of ran down the NWA because they don't want to, you know, they want world champions and fancy clothes and they can talk well, but not somebody that drinks beer and has fun. Said he respected Cabana, challenged him for his newly won title, and we will see if and when that happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate them, uh, you know, setting up an angle and trying to get another match booked. And, again, we'll see when and where it happens. We moved on to more legends. Caprice Wait a Cole. second. I got a comment on James Storm. I'm sorry. I didn't really <laughs> care. <laughs> the, the crowd liked James Storm. Um, he, he, was a, he was a nice surprise. I've always been a fan of James Storm. I know he's had... I, I, like, I don't know the guy personally. I've never, I've never met him. But you, you hear stories of he can be difficult to work with. I mean... You look at him in the past couple of years where it looked like he had a nice spot going in NXT. Like he would have been, I don't know about quite a Bobby Roode role, but you know, something similar to that, or he at least could have gone on to like a player coach role there. He went to MLW for like one show. I think he showed up back in TNA. Like he's just kind of bounced around all over the place. And apparently attitude issues have been kind of a, a reason for that. Um, you know, he wrestled Aldous for the title earlier this year and they, they had a, they had a good match and I, I liked Storm's promo of, you know, they want, they basically want Ric Flair 
as their champion. They want the guy who's well-groomed, well-dressed, can work that kind of style, isn't going to say anything foul or anything like that. They want Ric Flair as a champion. And James Storm came off as more of, maybe more of like a Dusty Rose, like just a, a common man who who's going to drink beer and, you know, to curse a little bit and things like that. So I like that promo from him. The, the national title seems to be a, a good spot for him. I think you can, you can build James storm. I know he's like 40 uh, over 40 at this point. So I don't know about building your whole company around James storm, but you can, you can build James storm as a, a really credible challenger for not only Cabana's title, but then possibly all this title again, instead of just a, throw on match to that pop-up show they did earlier this year so and james storm came off really well to the live crowd the the whole uh uh streamers being stuck in his feet and then cabana pulling them away was a was the crowd really liked that stream the crowd had fun with the streamers all night and the guy who had to collect the streamers did did not have fun with them all night that's like the shittiest job in the world. <laughs> this guy, I think he was, uh, he got shoved out of the chair by the Briscoes in in one of in in their match where everyone was going after chairs, uh, and this poor guy. So these two two or three fans be behind him. They're they're yelling, "Don't throw streamers!" So they're trying to get this chant going, but it doesn't catch on or anything, and so people throw streamers. And they, the guy runs up to to grab him, and then the fans chant, "Don't throw streamers." They then throw their streamers as the guy is away from his chair, and then he puts the streamers uh, underneath the chair, and these fans take their foot and put it under the railing and start pulling the streamers underneath the railing so they have more to throw. <laughs> this poor guy had to deal with just fans who love streamers right behind him and then yeah just grabbing the streamers and everything and he got tossed over by the briscoes or brody king it was one one of them uh rough night for this guy that's funny again that poor <laughs> bastard so caprice coleman was back they brought out some of the crockets and then he introduced nikita koloff uh caprice again was you know, he's a Carolina guy, he's an NWA fan, and just marking out for Nikita Koloff. And Nikita Koloff kind of, he breaks into the traditional Nikita Koloff promo, and he's starting with the thick Russian accent. And as he goes on, he just kind of starts talking in his normal voice. And Caprice goes, hey, man, what happened to your accent? And he goes, <laughs> well, he's like, I've been living here for like 30 years. It had to get better eventually. <laughs> And it's like, I was like, okay, that's funny. Because, yeah, that, that was a, a great little back and forth between those two. Yeah, and he, he's like, Caprice is so happy. And they brought out Magnum TA. And, uh, you know, Nikita and him, they share a hug. And they talk about the history of the NWA and being proud that the Crockett Cup is back. And he thanked the NWA fans for their love over the years after his accident. And, Again, another really nice segment with the legends, and uh, it, it's just it's nice when you pay tribute like that. And again, you're doing it at the right show in the right city, and it just it fit perfectly. So this is, I, a, this is another segment that came off really well for the live crowd. They we loved Nikita and Magnum seeing Magnum again and. 
you know, I, I think Capri said, you know, this is like the first time you guys have seen each other in 20 years. I'm just like, they saw each other earlier today. Um, they, they did a whole whole panel together, which was which was really, really cool to hear them talk about their their wars in the, in the 80s and their best of seven series and everything. Uh, but just, again, another good segment that the, the, the crowd really enjoyed. Good stuff. So we moved on to the Crockett Cup finals, which were also to crown new NWA tag team champions, Royce Isaacs and Bram versus Villain Enterprises. Um, for basically no reason. They had Medusa like in their last match give them some advice, and then yeah. she she led them out here and then did nothing. Yeah, we so in the last match. This was another thing that they came off weird because Flip and Bandito were about to like do their dives and then they did some weird dance. I, I know the dance is a fortnight, but they, they did their dance and like Medusa's talking to them at ringside and we were confused of like, why is Medusa still out there? I thought she was only out there for the women's match. And then she talks to them and then she walks to the back. And then here she comes out with them. She gives them advice. And then she just leaves and goes to the back. And we're like, what? what is the point of all of this? If you're their manager now, why aren't you at ringside with them? Like, I guess it made sense of in the first match, it's, okay, I'm going to give them advice, and then I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to come out later and show that, hey, now I'm their manager. Like, all right, that's sure. But then why leave again? It's like, I'm just here to give you advice on camera and then leave. Like, you can't give them this advice backstage. It's just, it, it was very odd and it, it seemingly meant nothing. I, I was going to ask, like, did it come off on television to where it was a bigger deal or they played something up more? Or is there just something the live audience missed? But it it sounds like, no, it was exactly how it came off and it was just seemingly pretty pointless yeah it was just really weird so pco and king were selling their injuries from the vicious attack by the briscoes and uh most of the match was Brody king running wild and then getting cut off and the um below average team of isaacs and bram took the heat for a while and king eventually started fighting them off and PCO lifts his dead arm up and over the ropes, and he's begging for the tag. He's selling his arm is dead, and then Brody King finally gets the the tag. And PCO slowly comes in, his arms hanging there, and then in an homage to the all-time cinema classic, Best of the Best, he looks at Brody King and says, "Pop it, Tommy, pop it," <laughs> and he goes ahead, and Brody King pops his arm back into place by. Stunning him off the ropes. PCO is alive. He's fired up. He's pissed off. Absorbs strikes. Hits clothesline. Runs wild. Him and King end up winning uh, after the PCO assault. And you uh, want Enterprises, your NWA Tag Team Champions, your 2019 Crockett Cup Champions. The match was okay. The winners were the right team. But Isaacs and Graham were just a fucking drag on the night. This was a, another, the the whole like fix my arm spot was was really great. And again, this was another just spot where the crowd was like, this guy is awesome. Like PCO was awesome. Got to see more of him. Um, 
Isaacs and, and Lattimore making it this far, it gave it's kind of like we we talked about on the on the preview where we thought like all right, Jack Stain and Crimson are going to win this thing because they're they're NWA guys. Like that's what I got the feeling heading into this match is like, all right, well, I guess these guys are NWA guys, so they're going to win. So it did add a, an element of of intrigue of I was kind of set on, well, these guys are seemingly going to win and the whole, you know, PCO's arm being hurt uh, would, would have been like the excuse of why they would end up winning this match. Um, but then when PCO got his arm fixed, you're like, oh shit, maybe PCO and Brody King are actually going to win. And then when PCO and Brody King did win, I, I felt the pop was, was good for their victory. I don't know how it came off on television, but the the live crowd really really liked it and because i was so set on well i guess they're just gonna have these guys win because they're nwa guys seeing pco and brody king win was was nice to see like it it was a cool moment and you know they celebrated with the crockett cup and definitely the right call definitely you know better than than fucking bram and whoever the other guy is uh winning this and then having two-star matches all over the country i don't know like who knows what the status is obviously the nwa has a good good relationship with roh i think they were on honor club the roh name and logo was was all over this broadcast um roh guys were all over this broadcast so they have a good relationship with roh i'm sure they can defend these titles in roh and then defend them across other uh but the the other promotions thing, I guess, is where it might get iffy because, as far as I know, Brody King and, and PCO are pretty exclusive to ROH. I'm sure they wouldn't mind them loaning them out to Championship Wrestling from Hollywood or anything like that. So we'll see how it goes with with these two being being the champions. But definitely the right call over the, the Isaacs and Lattimore. And I'm sorry, but when you reenact the Tommy Lee Alexander Brady spot from Best of the Best, there's no stopping you, because that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a great year for Villain Enterprise as these guys, you know, they won the ROH Tag Titles. They currently hold the Trios Titles with Marty, and they've added more gold. And I also think they hold like the 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 WS something Australian Tag Titles. So yeah, these guys have had a hell of a year so far. Some great matches and uh, picking up gold, and it's good to see them succeed. And Magnum TA and Nikita presented them with the cup and the titles. And yes, uh, I, I, again, another nice little post-match moment and nod to history uh, right before our main event. And uh, they kept with the legends in history before the main event as they brought out legendary NWA referee Tommy Young, who refereed all the big matches back in the day to give the instructions. Uh, Brian Hebner actually refereed the match because Tommy retired years ago, uh, partially due to injury and stuff. But um, it was nice to see Tommy Young out there. And again, another really nice nod to the old school. Crowd really enjoyed seeing uh, Tommy Young out there. So it, it was cool to, to have him out there. He got a nice little Tommy chant. I don't know again how it came off, but in the building, he got a nice little Tommy chant, which was which is cool to see. Yeah, so our main event was the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, Nick Aldis, defending against his good friend, Marty Skrull. They went uh, a hair under 24 minutes. Uh, they worked really hard. 
Aldis got busted open, got color. And, um, yeah, just I thought that, um, you know, like, like we talked about in the preview, these guys are very good friends. You knew they were going to work hard. You just hope they didn't overstay their welcome and didn't get too cute with shenanigans. And um, I thought they had a very good match. Um, they uh, they kicked out Camille early, which is Aldis's second. She tried to get involved at the end, but he sent her away. Um, Marty, good heat for Marty, trying to you know pick up the win with the chicken wing and stuff, and it just came off really well. But um, ended up with Nick Aldis getting the Kingsland Cloverleaf. Marty fought like a good boy. The crowd tried to rally him, but he had to tap out to his good friend. Nick Aldis retains. I thought it was very good. Marty was over huge in this match, um, and Aldis generated some some good heat as well. Aldis has I don't maybe he's done this before, but Aldis has adopted the the Conor McGregor slash Vince McMahon strut uh, as part of his persona now. Uh, he doesn't do it quite as exaggerated as those two, but it is certainly part of his gimmick. Um, the one thing we talked about in this match B before uh, in our preview was, you know, could could they get Marty as in a believable enough spot to where this guy is is going to win? Because I don't think uh, me or you thought that Marty was going to win this match just because. It's for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Marty is about to go to New Japan as a in the best of Super Juniors. You know, he's being presented as a Super Junior. He's going to lose matches in that tournament. Do they want the their champion? Unless they do another quick title switch. Like, do they want their champion losing these matches? And Marty, you know, he's might be AEW bound in the next couple of months anyway. Um, so we both figured all this was going to win. The goal is obviously, can you make it believable enough to where can Marty have these spots of, all right, this guy is going to win this match. And he certainly did have those spots. There was a, a great near fall. Uh, I don't remember what, what Marty ended up hitting, but it was after the ref bump with the, the, the slow count on, on, on all this, even the superplex got, got a nice near fall. Um, and the chicken wing, like really, people really thought that, uh, people really thought that, oh, all this is gonna pass out or, or tap out. Like the the blood played an extra aspect into that because people thought, oh, he might he might not tap out, but he's bled enough to where he might end up passing out here. So they did manage to hook hook the crowd with, and myself included, they did manage to to hook us with, hey, these are believable near falls that this guy could win the title. Um, and then all this one, which was fine. We, we, we both expected that the, you said the match went like 24, 25 minutes. It did not feel like that live. Like I, when, when I, when, when you said that, and when I read your report and I saw like, Oh shit, this went over, you know, almost 25 minutes. Like it really felt like this was 15, 20 minutes or so. It, it was, they worked a good pace there. The blood, added a lot to it it gave it more sense of an urgency marty's like marty's really good i thought all this upped his game here uh the camille spots were were good getting her kicked out marty you know 
faking the trip while she was 10 feet away to get her kicked out. Uh, the crowd really, really enjoyed that spot. All this stopping her from interfering to so because you know him and marty are good friends like no i want to handle this on my own like that was a good spot the ref bump was unnecessary but you know it it added to the drama and it was the only time on this show where they did a ref bump so it, it was fine it's not like they they overdid it like those old tna shows or anything like that and, and it didn't lead to super extra shenanigans it led to camille coming in and then all this preventing that so i i was i was fine with the ref bump in this aspect they they made it work uh overall like from from start to finish again live, live will, will give you a different perspective and it makes the match seem hotter and probably better than it was on television like i saw you gave it three and a half stars i'm not a guy who gives star ratings but from start to finish from being in the audience it was just a really, really strong match that the crowd was into uh, from the very beginning to the very end. So I thought as a match and as a as a whole, like it did exactly what it needed to do. And the like it was a great main event. Yeah, it worked. And like you said, it didn't feel that long because I was actually surprised when Marty tapped and I hit the stopwatch. I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, well, that didn't feel that long. I'm like, that's that, that's nice. I always appreciate that, you know. So. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they did a really good job, and they had a nice moment afterwards. And um, you know, they're, so, so uh, this was this was this was shown on television. This is what when I read your report, I was a little surprised that the the whole post match segment was was shown on television. Yeah, yeah, they they hugged, and Marty talked about when he started 15 years ago that Aldis was the first person that took him under his belt, and you know, helped him and all that stuff, and. You know, tonight they showed how far they both came. He congratulated Aldis and said nobody deserves the NWA title more. And then Nick says that they proved tonight that Marty is the biggest self-made star in wrestling and that the rebirth of the NWA was is real. Thought it came off really well afterwards. And if you had some people bitching like, oh, do they have to hug post-match and blah, blah, blah. It's like, fuck off. They're friends, okay? The, yeah, the whole, the whole build... Like the build for this was, you know, all this wanted Marty to be his partner for the Crockett Cup because they're really good friends. And then Marty, he's the villain. So he's like, no, I want the fucking title. Um, and then like that, that was the whole build for this is these guys are friends. One guy's a champion. The other guy wants to be a champion. So you set that friendship aside. So you battle it out for this title and then they do battle. They have this, they have this great match. And then after the match, like they're friends again. So I, I don't see any complaint of, Oh, they hugged and they made up and whatnot. Like it's not that they were ever like these bitter, bitter rivals or anything. It was just, they set their friendship aside to, to try to win the title. They, they duked it out. And fuck, you see it all the time in, in UFC, like these guys, supposedly have this like it's not even friendship like they supposedly have this bitter rivalry and then they beat the shit out of each other and then afterwards they they hug and they congratulate each other because like that's just what happens once you settle it in the ring or in the cage like you can become friends again so anyone complaining about them hugging is just like looking for a reason to complain to me yeah pretty much so but uh overall i thought the uh thought the nwa had a good show overall 
Um, I, I do hold their crimes against humanity with four brand matches against <laughs> them. But uh, overall, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I like I said, I, I really like the throwback graphics and stuff like that. And, you know, paying tribute to the legends and including them in the show. And um, it's, you know, you're sitting there, you're trying to, you have to put on good events. And not only that, I mean, when you're charging more money, you know, because like there are people that ordered it on fight. It was on traditional pay-per-view and stuff. People are used to paying, you know, 10 bucks for the majority of their stuff right now. You get the WWE Network or you get New Japan World, you're paying 10 bucks. So when you're an NWA or an Impact Wrestling and you're going to charge 20 25 or $40, you have to deliver a good show. So I thought they did a, an overall good job. I enjoyed it, thought it was fun. And uh, yeah, so uh, thumbs up for the NWA Crocodile Show. Yeah, live, it came off really good. And everything from the setup to the presentation was really strong for the live crowd. So how much did it cost on Fight TV? I think it was 20 bucks. I don't know. I mean, I watched it through Honor Club, so I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> like 20 bucks for this show, it seems like a good deal to me. Like paying for for my ticket, I was not comped. Um, paying for my ticket, I paid 50 bucks and had a, had a good seat. And like it was completely worth it. Like so 20 bucks on pay-per-view, like that's – that's the thing nowadays with pay-per-view we, we talk about all the time is like you can get all these shows on the WB network for 10 bucks and that's basically what you're paying for the pay-per-view on top of everything else that you get and then like fucking impact you pay like 40 bucks for the pay-per-view and you really have to deliver a strong show for 40 bucks and we'll talk about impact in a second but like 20 bucks for this show seems like it would have been completely worth it um because it's 50 bucks was worth it to, to definitely worth it to be there live so 20 bucks at home it was certainly a pay-per-view worth 20 dollars or even more i thought that just everything came off really well the main event delivered yeah the brand matches all sucked but still overall just a great presentation and some some really strong stuff by the nwa now like this is the problem with the nwa is that now they go back to the 10 pounds of gold series, try to build things up and, and we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Like their, their champions are all strong. All this is a very strong world heavyweight champion. He's going to keep defending the title. You got PCO and Brody King who crowds like, like, like I was telling you with the Crockett cup crowds, even if they don't know these guys by the end of the night, they're going to absolutely love them because PCO is just, he's fucking the hottest star in the business right now i wouldn't go that far but he he knows how to like he is super hot right now crowds love Cole cabana they got a feud with james storm brewing there so uh, i think the nwa is in a good spot they they do things well for 2019 while also just paying tribute to the past and i, I think that's a you know a good thing to do they're not trying to be anything they're trying to be different while also just trying to, to be traditional. And that that's not a bad mix of things uh, of what you want to do for your wrestling company. They're not going like too far out of the box with their ideas or anything like that, but they're, they're going enough outside while still 
staying in, if that makes any sense at all, to where fans can relate and easily get behind the product and easily follow the product. Yeah, one suggestion I saw for them, which I really liked, it was from the guys of Voices Wrestling, and I agreed with it, was um, one thing that they may want to consider is doing like a like a studio show weekly, like the Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory show. Because you could do a studio show, which kind of plays into the old school NWA vibe. But I mean, you need to eventually start doing more than like four, three or four big shows a year. You need to eventually start picking up some momentum. So it'll be interesting to see what the next step is. And I agree, you don't want to run before you can walk. And that is one thing I am appreciating with them. They're, they're trying to set a foundation. So we'll see what they do next. Yeah, the, like using ROH as sort of a way to build a lot of their matches because most of the build for Skrull and all this took place on ROH television. Um, yeah, a studio show, a one-hour studio show wouldn't be that bad. I don't know. I'm sure they could get enough guys to to fill that hour. I like the whole you know, four big shows a year. I, they definitely don't need to be doing monthly shows or anything like that. Like, build these shows up and, and do that well. And I wouldn't even have, like, even on these studio shows, you could, because right now they release, like, if all this defends the title in, let's say, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, like, they just release that match on YouTube. Like, if you have the studio show, you just put that match on that show. And, and okay, it's not like a live match or anything like that. But you could theoretically tape like your whole month of shows in one setting. Be like, all right, well, for 30 minutes here, we'll just have this Nick Aldis match where he defended the, the world title elsewhere or something like that. Like, I don't think this would cost a whole lot to produce. You wouldn't have to like fly in a, a ton of different wrestlers or anything. You would need smart people of how to piece this whole show together with other matches from other promotions. But I, I think they have smart people, especially with uh, Lagana and other people behind the scenes. So I, yeah, I, I actually like that idea. I think it would, I don't know what their budgets or what their goals are. They seem to be doing fairly well with the YouTube stuff. Um, but this would certainly be a, a new route for them. But you know, do they want, television are they just going to put those shows on youtube they you gotta consider that as well of just sort of what their end game is as well yeah and again it'll be interesting to see what happens so before we move on to our next subject a, a reminder you can follow the 411 on wrestling podcast on itunes stitcher spotify google play youtube and of course the 411 website please make sure to subscribe leave a five-star review on itunes and share us on social media we would appreciate it we are going to go ahead and talk about the impact wrestling rebellion pay-per-view jeremy which took place sunday night uh from canada and uh you know we talked about on the preview impact has made a a habit of Really solid TV, and on their regular pay-per-views, not like the Junkie United We Stand I pay-per-view thing, <laughs> but on the pay-per-views, delivering good to great pay-per-views. And I thought they did another good job overall Sunday night, and uh, so we will break that down. We started off with an X-Division six-way, 
Petey Williams, Jake Christ, Aiden Prince, Ace Austin, Cousin Jake Diener, and Eddie Edwards, your thoughts? Good, strong opener. It only went like five or six minutes, so it's tough to say like there was some spectacular match, but everyone got a bunch of spots in. I... I felt kind of bad for Eddie Edwards because I feel like this guy was one of the hottest guys in the company a year ago. And now it's here he is in a six minute X division opener, just kind of part of part of the group, like not really standing out or anything like that. And seem, they seem to have no real spot for him right now. And the, the Eli Drake thing obviously muddies the the situation because it was pretty clear they were building first as him and Drake as a team and then Drake turned on him and then you do that match down the line so that kind of put Eddie in a awkward position where he wasn't going to be able to to do a whole lot for this pay-per-view but it, it he it felt like they could have done something else with him as far as just a backstage segment instead of just, Hey, let's throw Eddie Edwards in this match to just kind of be another guy who blends in. Uh, Ace Austin winning was, was a, a good call. It seems like he's going to get some type of a push in the division. So a good quick match where, yeah, you can't really complain about a six minute match where everything is just kind of moves at a fast pace. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I just, uh, I wish it got more time because, uh, it felt like they were really just getting started when they went to the finish. Uh, but again, not bad or anything. I just, uh, I wanted a little more because I think they could have done something pretty great, but there you go. Uh, they announced impact plus, which is the going to be the updated global wrestling network because of the Jarrett lawsuit. And so that's going to start, I believe Wednesday. They didn't and, um, have what, what struck me with this is they didn't have, and I don't know, I assume it's $9.99, but they didn't have a price point for this. Like, you know, they announced Impact Plus, and then they don't tell you how much it cost. It just seemed very... I'm, I'm not saying they were trying to, like, fool anybody here, but, you know, it's like, hey, get Impact Plus, and then you go to the website, and it's like... Again, I think it's $9.99, but if you go to that website and you see, like, it's 20 bucks, who's going to be, like... Yeah, I want this whole thing for for twenty bucks. I don't know. It just felt very disingenuous not to say it cost this much. Yeah, it felt very very kind of rushed and thrown together uh, again because of the whole lawsuit thing. But um, so that's the uh, the big change. Our second match, which was added during the day due to a social media beef, um, the smoke show got canceled, and Scarlet Bordeaux faced off with. Rohit Raju of the Desi Shit Squad. Yeah, this sucked. This shouldn't have been on the pay-per-view at all. This is where you give that extra five minutes to the opener and, you know, have let them have a 10-minute match instead of a five-minute match. And or you spread this around and, and give it to a couple of the matches where we're about to talk about. Uh, just just an unnecessary match, honestly. Yeah, this was honestly this is the stuff you run on Impact. Don't don't add it to the pay per view. And again, my I I actually said in my review that I really wish that that time would have been added to the opener because those guys were really talented and they felt really shorted on time. And I think the match would have been a lot better if they could have slowed down just a hair. Because you, re- I mean, you give six guys six minutes, 
or not even, I mean, what do you expect them to do? They're not going to grab a fucking chin lock and ground the action right away. I mean, you need to go out there and, for lack of a better term, get your shit in because they're not giving you any more time. So, yeah, I wish that that would have went to the opener. We really didn't need that match, and, yeah, it was not good. Uh, the Desi Head Squad is just such a, a waste of space, and unfortunately they're around to keep the 76 people happy because the India money is pretty much the only big infusion of cash they get each year still. But what are you going to do? They're waiting for Jinder Mahal to get released. Well, they have Mahabali Shira coming back. (laughs) Since WWE signed him for like a month and then released him. (laughs) You know, if WWE is releasing you and you fill a market need for them, there's got to be some type of an issue there. Yeah. So our next match was... The Rascals versus Moose and the North. Your thoughts? This match was great. I love this match. Um, I, I think it went like nine, ten minutes, and it felt like it. Like it probably could have it deserved more time, but because it was so short, kind of like the opener, and they were able to pack so much into that short amount of time, it just made the match come off just way better as a whole. The Rascals. We're flying around doing all their fun stuff. Moose is is really good as a as a base. That's another guy who feels kind of cold because this time last year, like he was challenging for the world title, and now he's just in kind of a six man tag team match with the Rascals. But I enjoyed the build for this. Actually, it was kind of campy, but it it worked overall. Um, I think the Rascals as a group are kind of a a fun little group that. There's something a little bit different. It's very that 70s show, but it's it's cool. It's different. They can obviously go in the ring. The North are fine. I'm not like a huge um, uh, Ethan Page fan or anything like that, but they they did their part. But overall, like this match was just great. Yeah, I thought it was uh, very good. A lot of fun. Packed in the action well. Moose in the North pick up the uh, big win and It'll be interesting to see if that association kind of carries on into the next TV tapings and such. Uh, see if Moose has some backup there with the, the new tag team. But, uh, yeah, I thought, again, uh, I, I think the most important thing was is, like, it didn't, it didn't obviously feel long. It didn't go too long. But it was just a lot of fun. And it felt it was the first uh, really good thing on the show, I felt. So that was good. And we moved on to the knockouts title match. Ty Valkyrie versus Jordan Grace. Your thoughts? Another match that maybe could have used that, that time that Scarlett Bordeaux got. Um, we, we both talked about it in the preview where it would have been cool if Jordan Grace had won this match. I just Taya is just kind of, I'm just not that into her uh, to use a, I guess that's a 90s movie reference. She she's fine. I just I don't know. Not not the biggest Ty Valkyrie fan. The match was good. I didn't have an issue with it. The 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 finish was maybe it was just the the disappointment that Taya actually won. We'll we'll see where it goes with her. Spoiler alert: Now that Johnny Impact is not champion, maybe they can do kind of something 
something different with these two with hey you know she's got the title but but you don't um so we'll we'll kind of see what happens i hope they don't miss the boat on jordan grace because she she's really good and i i i know they like taya they have seemingly big plans for taya but they they can't cast aside jordan grace to continue to boost taya in my in my mind yeah, uh, I thought the match was good. Uh, went a smidge over nine minutes. Um, I thought the end was a little flat myself. It just... It's like they're fighting. Ty hits a headbutt. Jordan Grace fires back. And then all of a sudden, Ty hits her finish, and that was it. Yeah, it was um, very, it was very like, out of nowhere and, and sudden. Like, not that, not that I'm mad at kind of these quick kind of flash knockout finishes but when you do that stuff you, you can't be surprised if people are just kind of like oh that was you know they don't react accordingly because that's not always what you expect in wrestling matches yeah but um yeah i thought it was a good match i thought the layout was smart with uh the work of the arm on jordan grace and I thought Jordan Grace sold very well during the match. And, uh, yeah, good good match. You know, pay-per-view. Um, again, it didn't start badly. It just I felt started a little slow the first two matches. And uh, it started turning around. And then we moved on to the X Division title OVE rules match with champion Rich Swan defending against Sammy Callahan. And uh, while Sammy got his wish of the OVE rules, they did make it very clear that Impact Management – would not allow anyone from OVE at ringside, and if they got involved, they would quote-unquote be fired, which I did like because it's one thing when you do kind of the no-rules match, but when you do it just so, like, five guys can run in and do a bunch of shit, I didn't want that. So thankfully, we didn't get that because they actually kind of kind of thought it out. They gave him his witch, but there was a caveat to it. Um, I thought it was a very good, bordering on great match. They got just over 16 minutes, plenty of time to work, uh, weapons-filled brawl, and I kind of thought that the whole story was, and this was told in the build, you know, Sammy wanted Rich to join OVE, he refused, and then with this match, Sammy kind of made Rich Swan go and cross a line that he hadn't been willing to cross before. He had to play Sammy's game. And he gladly, gladly crossed the line and ended up retaining the title. Um, yeah, very good stuff. The the overall story, j- just the build and then the and then in this match was really well laid out and really, really well executed. Um, like you said, Callahan wanted Swan to join OVE. He didn't do it. Callahan maybe thought like oh well he's not ready to to go that far let me try to beat that into him let me push him all this stuff let me push for this ove rules match because he's not ready to to do this stuff he's not ove um and then swan comes out here and he's like you know what i'm not joining ove on your terms but you have pushed me far enough to where i will beat you at your own game and i will cross this line because you have pulled this out of me but i'm only doing it not to appease you i'm only doing it to beat you and i thought this was all just really well done 
in this match. Um, and, you know, both guys looked better because of it. Uh, Legos are the new tax, I guess. So that's that's cool. Uh, and then, yeah, Swan winning is fine. As the match progressed, I was actually kind of pulling for Callahan because I thought an X Division champion who wants to wrestle sort of a, a hardcore style matches would have been something new and different. You know, you think of X Division, you think of mainly flippy stuff and whatnot, but you get an X Division champion who's like, yeah, this is going to be a, a no DQ hardcore match now. And it's like, oh, that's that's something new. Um, but they went with Swan, and I don't have an, have an issue with Swan. I assume he, he moves on to, to face Johnny Impact next because... Impact still has that the X Division thing from United We Stand, assuming they pay attention to that. Uh, so overall, again, like this whole story, the, this whole and then this match and the story in this match was all just it came off really well. Yeah. And again, that's that's the advantage of when you don't overly complicate things, you tell a good story, you get people invested and then you deliver on it with your match. And the stipulation and everything, everything made sense. That's the most important part. And then you had two guys go out there and deliver. And again, you're not overthinking it. You're not reinventing the wheel. I thought, again, it was, I thought it was very good, bordering on a great match. Um, but just the whole package with the story and everything, you know, you're paying off the story. And like you said, we'll probably see Johnny Impact as the next challenger. Uh, hopefully they don't forget about that. I, They've been pretty good about not forgetting about things like that. If this was, you know, Impact in 2012, I'd say there was no chance they'd remember that. But, uh, you know, so, um, yeah. Uh, backstage, Tessa Blanchard was cutting a promo on her match with Gail Kim, and Tully Blanchard arrived. He was all fired up and gave a big pep talk to his daughter, and they hugged, and she gave him a big, she had the big doe eyes, and thank you, Daddy. <laughs> so it was, but it was like it came off really great because you know Tessa's all serious and fired up and you know her daddy shows up and you know at the end of the day she's a girl that just wants to impress her father and uh, that's what she did here we had Tessa Blanchard versus Gail Kim and to me this came off this was exactly what I wanted and this is the kind of thing that you harped on before United We Stand Tessa Blanchard is someone they've invested a lot of time and effort into. She's someone that they're pushing as the top women star and one of the overall top stars in the company. You don't fuck around with Joey Ryan and his dick shit. Okay? You put her in matches like this. Her and Gail Kim, they get 13 minutes. I thought they had a great match. Gail Kim didn't miss a beat. She looked great, was in good shape. Tessa put in a dominating, very composed performance on her way to picking up what is the biggest win in her career, the biggest win in Impact. It's a huge signature win. And most importantly, there was no Tom Fuckery. There was no stupid shit. She beat Gail Kim, clean as a sheet, made her tap out. I... Love this match from from again start to finish. Like everything about this match was was really 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 strong. Gil Kim still can go, um, and Tessa. I mean, I'm not saying Tessa is 
the top women's worker in the world right now. There are a lot of good women's workers in the world. Tessa is right there with them. Like if you want to say Tessa is as good as Charlotte or Becky or Sasha or any of these other women, like I there's no argument to be made to me. Like she is right there with him. She's so, so good from everything from her character work to her in-ring ability is just really good. And yeah, like like we talked about before United Stand, this is this is who Tessa Blanchard Blanchard should be. She shouldn't be grabbing Joey Ryan's penis. She should be kicking the shit out of people. And she kicked the shit out of uh Gail Kim here. Gail Kim had you know, she fought back and she she had her hope spots and everything. And, and Tessa just seemed annoyed by those hope spots more than anything else. Like she was just annoyed and angry and like, all right, if you think you can hang with me, I'm just gonna kick the shit out of you even more. Tessa wins. We like on paper, that would have seemingly been the right call and the easy call and the like no-brainer call. Like, yeah, of course Tessa's going to win. But like you said last week, impact slash TNA has just always had this infatuation with with gail kim and like if they had her win here it would have just been like yeah well they love this girl and so of course they're gonna have her win and have her get this big send off with this big victory over their their top female star uh but tessa winning was the the correct call the the post match was like this i had more of an issue with than than aldous and Skrull of them embracing and everything if it's done to like if this is a tessa blanchard babyface turn then okay it makes sense then because now taya is a heel and like where else is tessa gonna go outside of the title i guess she has some revenge matches um she can do but it seems like they're going back to to taya and and tessa except now the the dynamics have changed um, so if this is a babyface turn for Tessa, okay, I, I get that moment after the match. If this was just a I respect you kind of thing, thank you for giving me this match. Again, I don't have the like I said with the the UFC stuff, like I don't have an issue with it because you see it all the time in UFC. It just based on the feud that they had, it just doesn't make as much sense to me yeah it honestly didn't bother me i think the cool thing is not only was this a really well done passing of the torch moment but uh gil kim's previous last match wasn't good uh it was like a multi-person match and i just i don't remember much from it but i just uh you know she won the title and then had to vacate the title she was retiring and stuff but this was not only a great passing of the torch moment, but it was a the right way for her to get the send off. You know, she puts over Tessa, she gets to go out on a great match, and you know, for all the stuff she did for TNA and Impact over the years, she did deserve that. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with the send off. I just the whole embracing and then face to face thing. I like a handshake would have been okay with me. And then you let Gail Kim have, have her moment. Uh, if, again, if they using this to as a Tessa baby face turn, it makes a whole lot more sense. If it was just let's embrace, let's have 
it, it'd be something I'd complain about with with WWE as well is creating moments. Like I don't need you to create moments. Like let the like you can create the moment in and of itself just by a handshake and Gail Kim still gets her send off. You don't need to overdo it with with the embrace and with the just beating it in. This is the passing of the torch. So we'll see where it goes. If it's a babyface turn, it makes more sense. If it's just creating a moment, I don't, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of Tessa Blanchard because like I said, the, the, they do it all the time in the UFC and like, it doesn't make anybody less of a star because they do it. And like, it's, it's something that happens in real fighting. So sure. Why can't it happen in, in fake fighting as well? It's just, I don't know. It was a little bit just unnecessary the how how much they they did it based on just the the story that they had. Yeah. Um I thought again thought it was a great match and it was it was pretty much everything I hoped it would be again. It wasn't overbooked. It was just a great professional wrestling match. And you know again Tessa picks up her huge win and yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go with her next. Um Speaking of next, they um, kind of flipped the script on things. They did the Impact World Title match next. Uh, Impact uh, World Champion Johnny Impact defending against Cage with Lance Storm as the special referee. Uh, Cage came into the match banged up with a a back injury. And, you know, there's something I've talked about before with him. I really worry about him because he's a big, giant, jacked-up dude. And he does a lot of shit that a man his size shouldn't do. And that's not a bad thing. But when you're carrying that much muscle mass, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last year or so, this dude is always wearing like the tape on his shoulder. He has a wrap on his thigh. He wears tape on his back. And it's like, I really worry about him breaking down. And unfortunately, during this match, he got hurt. Uh, legit hurt. He ended up in the emergency room last night after the match. And uh, it basically stemmed from they did a, a Spanish fly spot off the ramp to the floor. And while it's not like a 20-foot drop or anything, Cage is a legit like 270-pound dude taking a flat back bump on the floor with another dude on top of him. It's not exactly like the most comfortable and safest bump. Um, I thought the match started off really well. It was kind of shocking all with Cage just running wild early, using his power game, hitting Germans, F5s, face busters, buckle bombs, deadlift superplexes and shit. And they were off to a really good start. I almost thought that they were going to do like a kind of like a Seth Rollins Brock, like an under three minutes thing. Because, like, they moved it to the co-main event, and he was just running wild. And then they did that spot on the outside, and they kind of came back into a regular match. And things slowed. Cage was laboring a bit. They were talking a lot, you could tell. Kind of setting things up. Cage got busted open. Um, it wasn't bad. It never felt bad. But it definitely started really hot. And then after that uh, Spanish fly spot, and then a little bit of overbooking down the stretch, 
uh, just kind of waiting for the cage wins the title in uh, 13 minutes. And uh, Johnny Impact will uh, go to the X-Division or whatever. And uh, we will see what is up with Cage in terms of his overall injury status. This, this match sucked. Uh, it was fine early when yeah Brian Cage was running wild and everything. After he, after the Spanish fly spot where we found out he screwed up his back and then just it really fell off a cliff. And we talked about Brian Cage's impact run. You can just see how much the editing in in Lucha Underground, the favors it did for this guy, because he's not a guy with that muscle mass and with the pace that he goes. He's not a guy who can just go for a long time. Like, this match wasn't even that long, but it just feels like an impact. Like, he gets blown up so quickly. Like, the last match he he had against Johnny Impact, I, I didn't really care for that match either because just Brian Cage just gets blown up so quickly. And I understand the back injury played an issue into this, but th- this is a thing of, you know, work to your strengths here. If you have a back injury, don't be fucking doing Spanish flies uh, to, to the floor. Don't be working the, the, this kind of style and these longer matches and everything. Just, just tone it down a little bit, either in the buildup up. Where, I mean, Brian Cage is a guy who wrestles for multiple promotions. Like, he's wrestling every single weekend. Like, take some of those nights off if you know you have this match coming up and you need to heal up. Or, again, don't do this spot to, to where you're putting your back in even more danger if you're, if you're banged up coming into this match. Uh, the, the ending of this was just... So so bad. Like the the ref bump was was terrible. The Taya's interference, the belt shots, uh, Johnny Impact Starship Pain, which which didn't even connect. Uh, the the drill claw, which Cage could barely lift him, and it's just the whole finish just came off so sloppy and and just a complete mess. I I did not like this match at all these two just don't seem to it would seem like they on style would be a good fit for one another because johnny impact likes to fly around cage has a strong base where he can catch cage also can keep up with the flying around stuff and do some athletic spots like both these guys are super athletic guys and there there is like a size difference to where it looks even more impressive and in their two big matches it just it hasn't clicked at all. And it just like the finish on, on both of these matches with these two guys have just come off so bad. Like the closing stretch of both of these matches has just been so, so bad. And I mean, okay, the layout is an issue, but the performances are also an issue. They, if TNA, TNA, if impact did one thing right in this, it's that it wasn't the main event. Uh, because if this was the main event, it would have just been another flat ending to this show. They at least they realize that maybe we shouldn't main event with this match. And I don't know if that call was made because of their last match or because all right, Full Metal Mayhem is a better match. 
even Tessa and Gail Kim is a better match. Why, whatever reason it was that they made the call, it, it was a smart call. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for this match. Brian Cage winning is, we'll see with his back injury how how it's gonna go for him. I guess they have tapings probably tonight. Um, that's when they usually do their tapings after. Yeah, they ta- they tape tonight and uh, at, at the Rebel again, and then they have tapings this weekend at the uh, old ECW arena. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll know real quickly what they're going to do with Brian Cage's back injury and, and how he can work and everything. So we'll, we'll see with this title run. We'll talk about, I guess, who his next challenger is going to be here in a second, but we'll, we'll see with this title run. I, I told you, I'm not a big Brian Cage and impact fan and this match, this title victory wasn't a great start to, to his run in my, in my estimation. Yes, and post-match, and this had been rumored for a while, uh, Big Mike Elgin made his Impact debut, went face-to-face with Cage, let him know he wants the title. He attacked him, hit a back fist, and then because, you know, Cage was feeling so good, he went ahead and hit the Elgin <laughs> ball on him, which had the yes. fucking suck. They couldn't call an audible here and just been like, you know, after the back fist, hey, my back is kind of fucked up. Maybe don't power bomb me, and you know, let's just get out of here. But I mean, he take again. This is like where you've gotta be just smarter. If your back is screwed up, don't take this power bomb on top of everything else. Just call the audible and say we're not gonna do that. Like lay me out with just the back fist. Lay me out where you're dropping me not dropping me period like just do the back fist don't do like some type of flapjack or any other move where you're landing on your stomach and face because like that still reverberates throughout your body like hit the back fist he's laid out he just had this grueling match that's that just be smarter if you have these injuries yeah and again i don't want to hear anybody saying like oh we're being soft about this no, the motherfucker could barely walk after this and had to be taken to the emergency room. He's so a world he, champion, too. Yeah. Like, this is but, the guy you're building your company around. You don't <laughs> need your world champion hurt. Yeah, and like you said, they, they easily could have done, you know, and again, like, if Cage didn't say anything to him, obviously Elgin, you know, might not have known, but, like, you could have done the back fist. Cage was bleeding from the match. You do the back fist. Just let Elgin take mount beat on him a little bit, make him bleed a little more, stand tall with the title. You sent a message. So, yeah, I wish they would have kind of rethought that. And, again, hopefully Cage is not hurt too bad. But uh, he spent the night in the emergency room, and we will see what happens. They announced that Slammiversary will take place July 7th in Texas, which is the day after the G1 starts in Texas. So that will be a full and busy wrestling weekend. They're piggybacking off of the G1 and Raw is in Dallas that Monday, we, too. Yeah. So. Well, that, that's, that's because WWE found out about the G1 and tried to fuck them over. And that's why they're going to run uh, MSG before the uh, AAA show. Yeah. yeah they're, it's uh, it's classic mean, Vince, man. And, you know. It's it's his world. We're just living in it and covering it. Uh, I find it funny that Impact is like, hey, all these New Japan people are going to be here. Let's let's run, let's run Dallas. Uh, 
They didn't. This is another thing where, like, I kind of complained about they didn't have a price point for Impact Plus. Like, they didn't even have an arena for this show. It's just, it's in Dallas, somewhere in Dallas. We know fans are going to be in Dallas for the G1. So if you're there, we'll we'll figure out the arena later. It, I don't know. It just didn't seem like there was a. I'm sure there was the foresight to. I know they. Ha- I'm sure they had the arena booked. I would assume so, but why aren't you announcing the arena in this? Like, it's not like it's that far away. It's two months away. Like, announce the arena. Announce when tickets go on go on sale. It's just Dallas. Everyone show up to Dallas. Yeah, it did feel really odd that they didn't have a uh, a venue and on sale date announced. It was just like coming to Dallas, Slammiversary, July seventh. The arena is New Japan's. Us. The arena is New Japan's back. Yes, but uh, yeah. So we'll we'll see what uh, what goes on there. And then the main event was the Impact Tag Team Title Full Metal Mayhem Match: Champions the Lucha Bros versus LAX. Great match, uh, as expected. The, much like the the Skrull and all this match, like this went. 20 21 minutes according to to your notes and it didn't feel like it was that long and it probably even should have been longer uh like they they packed in a lot of action to to everything fucking phoenix nearly killed himself i do not know how that man is alive after the the spanish fly through the table um Dude, he, he pulled a he pulled a christopher daniels on nitro he, I mean, Jesus, he, he, for those that missed it, okay, they had a table set up on the ramp, and he, Phoenix ends up walking the top rope to cut off Ortiz, grabs him, and goes to Spanish fly him through the table. Well, he hits the Spanish fly kind of halfway, sends Ortiz through the table, doesn't rotate enough, and just fucking falls on the top of his head. It was scary as shit. It's like how, yeah, it's like how he did not get hurt badly. But and in case you don't know the Christopher Daniels reference, Christopher Daniels and Mike Modest had a tryout match live on Nitro one time. And Christopher Daniels went to do like the run up, like, like the, the big run in uh, Moonsong. And he slipped and he tried to rotate over and fucking posted on top of his head and lost feeling in his arms and shit. And it was just scary as hell. So that's kind of what Phoenix did here. Very scary spot. Um, I haven't heard anything, uh, so it sounds like he's thankfully okay. But uh, yeah, very scary spot. Phoenix is going to kill himself one of these days with the these spots that he takes. Has he got hurt in like a um, like a Chicago show or something, an AAW show? It just th- this man is nuts. I. God bless him for it. Sometimes you got to tone it down a little bit. Not to say that this was a Spanish flies just did not work out on this show. Maybe, maybe tone that move down. Brian Cage ends up with a back injury. Phoenix, thank God he's not paralyzed after the way he landed. Uh, yeah, just Spanish flies. Knock that shit off unless you're Paul Burchill, I guess. Yeah, I can see Don Callis at the talent meeting today. All right, pretty much everything's okay. But if one of you motherfuckers does a Spanish fly, you're gone. 
Like, oh, these guys are just yeah, not not a good result on that move. Overall, just a great match. A lot of action, a lot of cool spots. Uh, LAX winning, not not a big surprise. Like, like we talked about in the preview, it seems like Penta and, and Phoenix are going to be pretty much AEW bound after this um, instead of working with a bunch of different promotions. Seems like they're going to pretty much just stay with AEW. I mean, you're not facing the the young bucks on their first show unless you're kind of big parts of their of their show and i mean penta got kenny omega at all in phoenix was in the main event of that show so they, they clearly have big plans for these guys and i'm sure they're paying better than impact and i mean they just didn't have anything left to left to do in impact i guess so lax winning Nothing wrong with that. It seemed pretty like a, almost an obvious call. I don't know where LAX goes after this. Like I'm, like who are the tag teams in in Impact? I guess they have the North now. Um, and their the association. Rascal. Yeah, the, like the Rascals are are there, but I, yeah, I don't gonna, know. They're gonna have to rebuild the tag division, especially if they're losing the Lucha Bros. And according to Big Dave Meltzer on this morning's Wrestling Observer Radio. Um, basically the end where they squashed the beef and did the big hug was kind of like the, uh, the Lucha Brothers curtain call because, uh, by all reports, they're going to be exclusive to AEW in the U S and, uh, which means they will also be finishing up with MLW, uh, which MLW has reportedly been expecting. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the finish makes sense when you take that into consideration, but yeah, absolutely great main event. Um, just everybody working hard, great performances. Um, thankfully, nobody died. But uh, it was definitely the smart move to move this to the main event and uh, close the show on an extremely strong note. Yeah, much better decision to have this in the main event. I, I, I even think that Tessa and Gale could have had a main event spot. I'd be very surprised if, you know... Because the 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 Lucha Bros are gone now, and LAX doesn't have like super credible challengers, and then I mean you've got Brian Cage as your champion. I don't know. I guess Michael Elgin is obviously his his next um, challenger there. Like that's fine. Like looking ahead towards Slammiversary, it almost seems like the women are going to headline that show because Tessa is probably the hottest star in the company right now. Uh, Taya is, she's had a good reign with the title. That's a match that that's a story that is easy to build because of their history. And you also have, um, you know, you can also throw in Jordan Grace in there if you want and make it a, a three-way match. So, They've got time, obviously, between now and July, like plenty of time to to make things hotter. Fucking Van Dam's coming back. I'm sure he'll want to headline, or they can always put him in a in a headlining spot. Sooner rather than later, it just feels like the women need to headline a a, a show, and not because it's you know a piggyback off WWE thing or anything like that. It's truthfully because they've been the strongest point of a lot of these shows. And I truthfully think that Tessa Blanchard is the top star in this company. Uh, she certainly felt like it after tonight. 
Um, I mean, you could make an argument. You know, her LAX are easily the top acts. And um, yeah, so I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. I think there is a, a definite possibility if they can build the right feud. And again, I think that's why the, the LAX main event here worked again. Um, much like Sammy and Rich Swan and Gail and Tessa, um, you, you told good stories going in. You booked matches that made sense. You delivered matches that were very good, simple stories with strong work, uh, bordering on great and even very good, even you know, great in a lot of aspects. And they delivered, they culminated those stories. And again, keeping it simple, strong builds, thing that makes sense. And I greatly appreciate that. So that was uh, a lot of the strength of those matches that really succeeded on the show. It was it was definitely the right call to to have LAX headline this show. It was just a much better, you know, it was a much better match than Cage and Impact. Even the story was better. Um, I'm, I'm glad they I'm glad they made that call. And yeah, well, it was another strong show from Impact. We've seen this before from them and like they're getting a lot of online praise this morning well deserved if you put on a strong show you 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 should you know you should get praise for putting on a strong show they really just fail to capitalize on anything with with their with their television and i i don't even think their television is like terrible or anything like that they're just they're a promotion just without a lot of a lot of momentum and heat right now. Even after the these these good shows, it's you know they're gonna lose the Lucha Brothers. This was probably their last show, so you're you're losing one of your your top acts right there. Who knows with Brian Cage how how banged up he is? Like that's that's your world champion. Michael Elgin is he's a name. You know, he's got some New Japan credibility on him. There's a lot of, there's, I don't know about a lot, but there is a, certainly a market of the online, uh, that's what I'm looking for. There's of definitely the, a negative <laughs> stigma around. Yes, yeah. There, there, There's a corner of the online market. That's the, the phrasing I was looking for, and I screwed it up. Uh, there's a corner of the online market that doesn't like Michael Elgin for reasons that are totally understandable and legitimate. So there, there could be some backlash there. You know, you're bringing back Rob Van Dam, which is, he's a name, but he's also older. And I mean, based on his match at United We Stand, you know, how much can he really give in the ring at this point? It's, like they they have these really great banger shows. They have good storylines for for the most part. They have good talent, but they're on fucking a channel no one gets, or they're on Twitch and like fine. They're on it Fridays at ten o'clock. Like who the fuck is watching wrestling at Fridays at ten o'clock? They me. <laughs> Their television tapings are always just cold as ice. Like you try to find reports and photos on Twitter and like no one has anything on the like you you get more out of searching for photos from a WWE live event than you do from a impact television taping. Like 
everything about this company just is so cold from an online perspective. And I don't even think they do a bad job with a lot of that stuff. Like you compare them to ROH and like at least they're tweeting all the time. You go to their YouTube channel. There's a lot of good stuff on their YouTube channel. ROH fucking has nothing on their YouTube channel. Um, but Impact for some reason like feels colder than, than ROH from just a business perspective. And I mean, they're not... But their their pay-per-views are, are really good, and that'll earn them praise. I really don't want to see just overreactions to this event of, oh, Impact is back, or you should start paying attention to Impact now because you're going to miss out. Like, it's a good show. You, you are missing some good stuff. If you missed this pay-per-view, you missed a really good pay-per-view. Let's not go over the top with, you know, Impact is ready to challenge everybody again just because they had another good show. We've seen this before. We saw this all throughout last year. They had really great events. Like, this is just their MO at this point. A good television product, a great pay-per-view product, but it just isn't translating to any type of business. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. A lot of that is that just, that shitty TV deal they had to take with Pursuit because because Anthem owns part of it. And it's like, yeah, it's just there there is no buzz. It's like their TV at worst is solid, you know, every week. Sometimes it's good. The pay-per-views are good to great. And it's just really unfortunate. And like you said, the social media stuff is really good thanks to the good brother Garrett because he's done a great job with that. And it's just... They need uh, they need something. They need a better TV deal. They need to get they need to get attention. And like some of the worst stuff that happens is like you were mentioning, you know, don't overblow a good show. Don't oversell it. And because like I had people tell, oh, I, I watched the WrestleMania weekend NXT show and this was just as good as that. And it's like, listen, listen, listen. Impact Rebellion was a very good show. I enjoyed it. They did a lot right. They told good stories. Had some great matches. But the NXT TakeOver WrestleMania thing from New York was like an all-time great fucking show. Like in the history of the fucking universe. So don't don't overpraise it because that's... And I think that that comes from years of people being upset because... They liked TNA and they liked Impact and everybody shit on it and was saying it was going to die. And so now they have to overcompensate. And I understand you're a fan. You want your company to do good. You love the company. And that's great. But have some perspective. It's not always great. It's not always good. Sometimes things are off. But the pay-per-view is good. If you want to suggest it to somebody who hasn't watched Impact. Somebody asked me in my comment section, is Impact worth checking out? I said, yeah. I'm like, the TV is at worst solid. I enjoy it more than Raw for sure. And the pay-per-views are good to very good. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving them a chance. But have some perspective. Don't overblow it. Because when you do that, and if it doesn't deliver, everybody's going to oh, you're fucking full of shit. The show sucks. Because you oversold it. Don't do that. But yeah, I want the company to do well. But I am, I'm a bit concerned with the cage injury. Lucha Brothers seemingly leaving, and that is the report. And um, 
you know, hopefully Willie Mack is staying and you know, they don't lose him because I think he's a good asset. And yeah, it's just um, it's just a really weird time for them. And I feel bad for the company because they do a lot of good things. And like I said, good stories leading into the pay-per-view, good follow-up. They delivered on it, and I just don't feel like enough people are going to talk about it and give them praise. And I'm, I'm kind of scared to see what the buy rate is even for the show because again, they don't have a lot of um, penetration with the TV stuff. Yes, they're on Twitch, but I mean, it's Twitch. Not everybody wants to watch Twitch. And again, you're charging forty bucks for a pay per view in an era where a lot of people are getting their wrestling for ten dollars here and there. That, like that's the that's the other thing is like these shows are forty dollars on Fight TV or I, I don't even know if they're on traditional pay per view. They are. And, okay. Well, there you go. Um. So it's just like you're paying forty dollars for this event, and I'm not saying this event wasn't worth forty dollars. It was a very strong show, and in the old days, like yeah, it was certainly worth. Forty dollars, like it's that's not the market anymore. Like any big show nowadays just doesn't cost that much. Um, Double or nothing is going to be an interesting thing, and AEW in general will will be interesting because they're probably gonna have to sort of be in that same boat of we're gonna you know pay forty dollars for for this pay-per-view and you know nowadays where you can get the network for 9.99 where you can get new japan world for 9.99 and honor club however much that costs how, how much is how much does that cost you larry for the year to get all those events uh i don't know ashish bought the uh the big yearly thing because you know if you would just buy their four pay-per-views at 40 bucks that's 160 bucks. And I think like the yearly thing is like 120 and then you get all the pay-per-views as well as all the streaming events. So a definite money saver in that aspect. Yeah. So if it's a, it's 120, that's essentially 10, 10 bucks, bucks a month. A month. Yeah. So, you know, and you're getting all this other stuff. Like you're not only getting like these live events, you're getting all this, you're getting all the video on demand stuff that, that comes with it as well. So you're, and then you got a company like Impact, like they have their own now Impact Plus, and they're still they still want forty dollars on top of that every month for for their pay per views. Like the same thing with AEW, if they're going to do these forty dollar pay per views, it's it'll work for like it worked for All In, obviously. It'll work for Double or Nothing. After that, it might start just to get a little bit pricey for people who are just so used to only spending. I mean, we, we just said you can get WWE slash every single one of their brands, new Japan and ROH, all their events. For 30 all bucks. Their, yeah. For 30 bucks, all their video on demand stuff. That's just $30 or you can pay $40 for literally one event. And it's just, it's a tough sell for people if you're doing it. I mean, Impact only does it like quarterly or once every two months or something. And it, like, that's a tough sell for AEW. It's going to kind of run into the same thing. And I'm not 
AEW might have a completely different plan, and they seem like they're smart enough to where they will have a, a different and a better plan, especially once they once they get onto television. But for right now, it's like this is the, an issue plaguing. Speaking specifically for Impact, this is a, an issue plaguing Impact. Is I mean, Joey Janela said it like on Fight TV, his shows outdraw the Impact shows, and part of that is a credit to Janela and just the buzz he has is built up. The other part of that is I don't think the Janela pay-per-views cost $40. Like they're only like 20 or 30 bucks and people are just like people are more willing to spend less money obviously if the shows are are just as good. But you don't see like GCW has this great show. No one's going over the top with all those great praise of like oh pay attention to GCW. Like no, they're they're in their lane. They do what they do and like people are, are happy with that impact almost feels the same way right now like they're in their lane they do what they do let's not go over the top and think that they're gonna do anything extravagant in the near future because they haven't proven that they can and any company that's on the pursuit channel probably just isn't going too far right now yeah and again it is it's unfortunate i i hope that i hope that things can change i hope that they can you know, keep delivering you know, these good pay-per-views and solid TV. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of questions coming out, uh, coming out of last night's show. Because, again, if Cage is seriously injured, if you're losing the Lucha Brothers, if you're possibly losing Willie Mack, um, it's just that's, a, that's, you know, for a company that doesn't exactly have a huge roster anyway, um, you know, they focus on a certain amount of guys and everything. It's uh, it could be problematic. So we will see what happens. Uh, yeah, a lot of interesting takes coming out of last night's show. But again, a very good show. Um, if you have the time, check it out. Um, you know, Gail Kim and Tessa was great. Full Metal Mayhem was great. Sammy versus Rich Swan, very good to great. So a lot of stuff that did really well. So we'll see what happens going forward. I would like to thank everybody that listened. I'd like to thank Jeremy for joining me. Again, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and the 411 site. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review on iTunes, share us on social media. Jeremy and I will be back later this week talking uh, New Japan, uh, Hino Kuni, and also previewing the upcoming Wrestling Don Taku events for the weekend. So thanks for listening and happy wrestling, everybody.